This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by LifeWay, publisher of The Sermon on the Mount Bible Study by Jen Wilkin. In this nine-session study, Wilkin invites readers to examine and learn from Jesus' longest recorded message and challenge themselves to think differently about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. With your purchase, you'll also receive access to this study's video sessions. Get your copy today at lifeway.com slash sermon on the mount. Our team at the Gospel Coalition is excited to welcome As in Heaven into our podcast network. As in Heaven, hosted by Jim Davis and Mike Aitchison, features conversations on race and justice with more than two dozen ministry leaders. In this bonus episode of TGC Podcast, you'll hear a 20-minute clip of As in Heaven's first episode with Crawford Loritz on Setting the Stage. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, this is the attitude that we all ought to have toward one another, which is the ultimate solution for racism or, or the sin of partiality, is that we need to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. I think the Greek word is the word that was used for the apron of a slave, a servant. And so we have to serve one another, interestingly enough, in order to get rid of the sin of partiality. You're listening to As in Heaven, a podcast about applying the gospel to our everyday lives and being more effectively on mission in our cities and beyond. This season, we're talking to Christian leaders about how believers should process issues of race and justice, specifically in the context of ministry. We had the privilege of sitting down with Pastor Crawford Loritz, who helped give practical and biblical answers to the following questions. What does it mean for Christians to do cultural exegesis? When is it helpful and when is it unhelpful? What does the Bible say about racism and how did racism manifest itself in the early church? What practical ways do the scriptures offer to kill racism at the heart level? What is the biblical definition of justice and how does it apply to our cultural moment? Dr. Loritz gave thoughtful answers to these questions plus many more. His wisdom is matched only by his gracious and pastoral tone. The way he handled these emotionally charged topics was both winsome and educational, and this conversation is pure gold. Jim Davis and Mike Aitchison are your hosts. Mike Graham and myself, Matt Kenyon, are the producers. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of As in Heaven with Dr. Crawford Loritz. All right. Well, welcome to As in Heaven, Season 2. My name is Jim Davis. We're joined by my co-host, Mike Aitchison, at the other end of this long table. And we have the great privilege of being joined today by Crawford Loritz. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on As in Heaven, Season 2. Well, it's my privilege and joy to be with you guys. 
Well, Crawford, you and I know each other from our family life um, circles. You serve on the board at, for Family Life. Mike Aitchison, fun fact, is a new Family Life speaker, so we all three have that in common. But in case somebody has been living under a rock, I want to I want to read a, just a, a snippet of your resume that will make all of us wonder what in the world have we been doing with our lives. You are currently serving as senior pastor, uh, Fellowship Bible Church, Roswell, Georgia. I have some good friends in that church who have been very blessed by your ministry there. Um, in the past, you have been an evangelist, a church planter. You have given national direction to the ministry of Crew. You are also a visiting professor at Trinity Evangelical Divin- Divinity School. You are a council member for the Gospel Coalition, a board member for both Campus Crusade for Christ and its subsidiary, Family Life. At one point, you served on the board of Chick-fil-A, and I'm sure there are about 100 other things I can name, but I think I think this is really fun right here. You have been the speaker at three Super Bowls, an NCAA Final Four, Promise Keepers, and I would imagine more marriage conferences than you can count. Uh, yeah, well, that that's that last one's probably true. Yeah, all of it's true, but that especially uh, counting the marriage conferences. <laughs> well, it's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jim. It's a uh, again just a joy to be with you guys. Uh, we're so grateful that you're here with us today, Crawford. And so uh, I I just want to remind our our guests what we're going to be engaging today. We're going to consider. Uh, our hope and explanation of cultural exegesis and analysis. And by way of reminder, we want to model Christian discussion this season amidst what could be confusing and even tense discussions. Now, we've invited uh, our guests, uh, not only because they are national experts in these matters, but also because they have a pastoral heart and pastoral tone And we really desire to make this a safe place to engage these very critical discussions. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my friend Jim to get us started. All right. So you used the word exegesis, uh, Mike. Exegesis is a term that's fairly well known in the church. It's a term uh, we primarily use in our circles for the Bible. Um, and it's, it's our effort to bring out the main point of something. It really, you could say it's a fancy word for analysis. We use the word biblical exegesis, but there are other kinds of exegesis. So I want to ask you, Crawford, would you help us to understand the term cultural exegesis and and really how does it inform uh, the way that we assess or analyze all that's transpiring around us today. Yeah, Jim, before I do that, let me take a little bit of liberty and just back up a couple of steps. You know, sometimes when we dive into the deep end of the pool with terms like cultural exegesis and, and, uh, you know, transactional analysis and all of these words that have amazing sociological implications and this kind of thing, we can, we can separate them and segment them from, from the why of these things. Why are we doing cultural exegesis? Well, it's because of the heart and passion of our Savior, because the, that he, he loves the lost, and that we need, to, we need to have an understanding of our context and moment in history, not so much because we want to impress people with our, you know, how erudite we are and how insightful we are and how right we are, We need to understand a moment in history because we need to give a word of hope that's anchored in the gospel, that hearts and lives would be touched and changed, and so that things will move toward that glorious goal of being what God wants them to be. And so really, it is the law of love and the context of love that drives us to want to analyze the culture. And if that's not not the primary reason, 
then pride and arrogance and one-upmanship and insight, all of this kind of stuff begins to cannibalize what we're trying to do. So when you talk about cultural exegesis, really all we're really talking about is understanding where the culture is and what has contributed to either the positive stuff, the negative stuff, or the combination of it all. And it really is an other's orientation. It's understanding your, your context, what's around you, what's different about our moment in history in terms of the way the culture in general uh, reacts and responds than say my dad or my granddad's moment in history. Uh, where are we in society? Uh, what are the forces that, uh, uh, you know, contributing to, to either positive or negative directions or both of those things? So it's understanding the, the economic dynamics. It's understanding the political, social uh, influences on society. Ultimately, it's understanding the manifestation of sin that demonstrates itself through these power avenues. So that's what we mean by exegeting the culture, understanding trends, understanding um, the difference between a trend and a fad, understanding what is permanent, and uh, largely because we want to know why people do what they do. Prophet, that was very helpful. So uh, one of the frameworks that we're familiar with around here is comprehend, command, and critique. Uh, Could you give us some thoughts on the commending and the critiquing aspect, we you really appreciate you helping us understand what it means to comprehend the culture around us. Well, you know, the commending is it, I would I would I would imagine I would imagine what is implied by that is uh, uh, what are the what are the positive things and common ground things that we can commend that we can agree upon and not not all of it is wrong. One of the, the parentheses here, one of the dastardly tendencies of Christians is to think in binary, polar opposite ways. Either something is totally wrong or something is totally right. Well, that's that's not true. I mean, I believe in the total depravity of man, but total depravity does not mean that there's not any goodness whatsoever. It means that the goodness that we have doesn't measure up to God's total righteousness. So there are some good things in our culture even if they're manifested by people who don't have a relationship with Christ, what are those common ground good things? Treating your neighbor right, you know, uh, doing right by your family. What are those trends that, that, that we need to build on? That's what we mean by commending, I would, I would, I would imagine. And I, there's a question that we're going to get into later on, but while I'm on this, I think Christians need to stop being afraid of the world. Uh, now we should not we should not love the world we should not emulate the world but we are in the world and so Christians need this need need not to be afraid to be human and need not to be afraid to acknowledge that we have an awful lot in common with unredeemed people we have a lot in common with them we don't have ultimately that which is common but we have a lot of stuff in common with them. And so, you know, we can partner with unredeemed people on certain causes and emphasis that that may not violate our biblical integrity. We do it all the time. 
because there is a common cause and there's something commendable about it. So I guess some examples of that, we, we partner with non-Christian entities, maybe to help feed the homeless. We appreciate art in Hollywood without always endorsing everything that they're doing. We're going to be talking with Trevin Wax about doing exactly this as it pertains to Black Lives Matter. But with, uh, with that in mind, um, we, we, before we do that, before we go to a lot of the rest of the season, we think it's really important that we talk about just defining terms uh, because, you, you know, it's, it, it, a word or a term can – even the most um, unemotional terms like trunk. What does trunk mean? Are you talking about trunk of a car, trunk of a tree, trunk that you pack clothes in, trunk of an elephant? But then you put this into an actually emotionally charged situation. And, uh, and I know we at our church are practicing, actively practicing defining terms as we use them and recognizing the terms that we need to define before we use them, especially before we use them in an emotionally charged setting. So that's what we want to really spend the next, as we understand why we want to analyze our culture, again, through a biblical through a biblical framework, we want to talk about a, a few terms and ask you to help us define these um, as we, because all of them are, are coming up right now. Uh, so the, the first term that I'd like to ask you to, re, to define um, is one so common that we might not even think that it needs to be defined, but it's race. The word race has, uh, carries with it different nuances over the course of, of our history. So would you mind taking a stab at defining race as it pertains to this conversation? Well, yeah, you know, race from an anthropological perspective, historical perspective, is a fairly recent term. It's, uh, you know, in the Bible, there's only one human race. There's only one race. And, uh, you know, historically here in, the, here in this country, race came about with the advent of uh, an introduction of, of chattel slavery. Uh, there had to be a means by and through which people of Western European descent could distinguish themselves. And I might say this, and I don't mean this as a flashpoint, but just as a fact of history, justify dominance over the darker skinned people that they had, uh, uh, you know, uh, gotten as slaves. And so that is the origin of race in the Western world. And, and that's where it comes from. And that's the reason why, parenthetically, there is a lot of subtle guilt associated with the term race because it, it conjures up that history of, of, you know, we're different. And the way it was developed, not only are we different, we're, we're better than. And so it, 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 it is a juxtaposition of superiority, inferiority, this, this kind of thing. Now, ethnic is, 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 is the term. There's been various ethnicities since the very beginning of time, virtually. And the Greek term ethne or ethnos it simply means peoples. It simply means peoples. It's representative of the various peoples of the world and they're, they're what they have in common in that ethnic category. Germans, uh, although they're Western European, Germans are different than the Irish. The Irish are different than the Englishmen. The Englishmen are different than the Italians. And ethnicity, by the way, by the way, that should be the dominant thing that we uh, talk more about rather than race. That's the difference between race and ethnicity. Uh, thank you for that historical perspective, Crawford. So as we think about race, I have two follow-ups to that. Um, are there ways that we see race uh, connected to a caste system, maybe, uh, in modern time here in our country? And then could you give us some more thoughts on other distinctions that the Bible might present to us other than ethnicity? 
Yeah, Michael, sometimes the, uh, the way you frame a question is the answer to the question. And I think you just <laughs> did that. I think the use, use of the term caste, uh, race, the emphasis on race has given rise to thinking in terms of, of, of a hierarchy of people. And this is a place where a lot of African-Americans don't like to go to. But even among African-Americans, the lighter skinned you were, the more favorable you were uh, and you got more opportunity because of that whole mindset that that was fostered on us that to be light is is preferable and it, and it, and it gave rise to a caste system and we still have residual uh, effects of that caste system and uh, the, the 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 dominant caste system is white versus black and how that has informed our thinking now the problem with a podcast like this or any conversation about these matters is that of necessity we have to speak in generalities not everybody who's white is, thinks this way. Not everybody who's black thinks this way. You're absolutely right that our history tells us, okay, there's the, there's the subtle backdrop way back in our minds of dominance versus inferiority. Dominance in versus, versus inferiority. And this is the reason why my friend Tim Keller uh, famously says that one of the challenges that white people have is that white people don't think they have a culture. They, they don't think that way because of the, 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 the assumption that, well, this is normative. This is we've always we've always been in control or we've always had this going for us. And I say that not in a pejorative sense or a bad sense. That's just the way it is. And so your term is, is, a, is an excellent term. Race has, has fertilized and given rise to this whole idea of, of, of a caste system. You know, as, as a white person, I mean, I, I, that resonates with me growing up. I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but there's the old, the old phrase that uh, a big fish and a small fish were swimming together and the strong current came through and the big fish said to the small fish, wow, did you, did you feel that water? And the little fish says, what's water? It's just, it's all it had ever, had ever known. Exactly. And, and I think that speaks kind of to, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're part of the majority space, you, there's not a lot, it, there's not put, pushing against you that resonates with me. I want to, all right. So it's funny you brought up ethne because that is my second term, but before we jump, I have one more question about ethne, but before we get there, um, increasingly, we're hearing these days um, some some iteration of the phrase that race is a biological fiction and a sociological reality. And so if this is someone's first time hearing that phrase, uh, would you help us to understand how you process that? Yeah. So I know what I said before. This is going to sound like a little bit like a, a contradiction, a gobbledygook here. The, the problem with these terms is so we, we have the privilege of sitting in climate control context and surgically separating the expressions and and giving a nice little bow that race came about as a result of slavery and ethnos. And so we, we can say that. Well, in reality, what has taken place is those terms have been used interchangeably and they've been woven together in such a way. So it's not that surgically distinct in reality. And so even I use the term and you, I would I would say you guys use the term, too, when you think about it. Even we use it interchangeably because we know what we mean according to the context. Right. So we say race when we mean ethnic and we say ethnic when we mean race. I, I think understanding the history of it is very important in, in that it gives us insight into why it triggers so much guilt or why, why, it, why, why in a world, you know, it, it, it causes us to pull back from one another and, and the barriers that are there. And I do think that we need to talk more about that because 
our commonality. And I, I hope we get into this later on because the goal of God is, is not diversity for diversity's sake. That's not his goal. His goal is unity. His goal is unity. And uh, it's not it's not in the eradication of the distinctions. Uh, that's the reason why I know people mean this well when they say they're colorblind and all of this stuff. But you know, they, they mean well. They really mean well by that. But actually, that's heresy. I mean, that is in a crazy kind of way. That is a denial of the manifestation of the image of God through various ethnic groups that he's created. So we don't want to, we don't want to go there. Portrait is unity. And so I know I'm getting away from what you asked me about race and F and, and, and how all of that fits. But, but I think uh, at a certain point, yeah, understand the terms, but the terms and understanding the term that cannot become the default destination of the discussion. The destination of the discussion is a glorious transform unity. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. To hear the rest of this conversation with Crawford Luritz, check out As in Heaven on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts.